Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness. Here's the high stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer. And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Daniel Wang behind me now. We're calling this week's episode Perilous. These are three stories told at recent Risk live shows about uh, situations that were fraught with Carol. We are going to hear from one of our favorites, Danny LaBelle, in just a little bit. That was told at our, you know, monthly show that we do at the Bootleg Theater in Los Angeles. But before that, we're going to hear a story from another favorite of ours who we haven't heard in years and years. She did the show way, 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 way early on when we first started around 2009. Jessica Delfino, and she shared this one at the Risk Live show that we do each month at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Now, Jessica can be found at jessicadelfino.com. But another thing, she did some stand-up comedy and a song as well during her set. We're we're not going to feature that here on this episode. However, we are going to post it on our Patreon. If you are a patron of the show, there's all sorts of little extras that you get, you know, if you if you choose to give $1 a month or $5 a month or $10 a month, whatever it is, if you help support us at patreon.com slash risk, you can find all sorts of perks and prizes and extra stuff, extra footage from the shows like some of the stand-up and the singing that Jessica did with her bit here. But here is her story that she told at the Bell House in Brooklyn. It is called Stan Alive. Thank you. So, I had, you guys, I dated a lot of jerks. A lot, lot, a lot of jerks. And I don't think that women should be ashamed, you know, of, of sex and how many people they were with or making mistakes, but let's just put it this way. The amount of jerks I dated 
it was a, a prime number, okay? <laughs> and one you don't see for the first few rows, you know what I mean? <laughs> I just had like a certain type that I was into, you know, potential cult leader. <laughs> and interesting people, you know, tall, dark hair, blue eyes, handsome, charming, like your classic textbook narcissist, you know, just, just a real charmer. Um, so I met this guy one night at an underground open mic, okay, which is basically a sign from the universe to just run. And by this guy, what I mean is this is sort of a composite. I dated this guy over and over and over and over again. Basically, what he was a, a musician. He wrote uh, political sort of protest pop songs. <sighs> I just, I really liked him. And I was there trying out, you know, my comedy songs. So it was love at first trite. Right, right away, just immediately. He had this long flowing hair like Sebastian Bach. I always went for these long hairs, you know? And, um, and within five minutes of meeting him, he told me three times that he was the smartest man who ever lived. So we were off to a good start. We both quickly became infatuated with him. And we moved in together really soon after meeting because it just felt right to pay less rent. By the way, that's affordable housing in New York. <laughs> Who has affordable housing out there, right? <laughs> Living with someone you're banging? Yes. You will save money on rent, you'll save money on food, on groceries, but eventually you will pay it back in years of therapy afterwards. <laughs> and this guy, he was very magician-like. You know, for example, he was the type of guy who, like, when I met him, he kind of presented himself like one person, and over time, that person, poof, Yes, began writing love letters to other women. Yeah. Like a magician, he would dress in black all the time, and he wasn't a goth teenager. Like a magician, uh, he had this very interesting facial hair. He had something he called a jowl stash. <laughs> something like that. Like a magician, he would usually borrow money from his mom to pay rent because he was often unemployed. And he would do a lot of other things. And basically, have you ever dated someone and they do things that are very unusual and you get kind of like a red flag vibe from that, but you just ignore it? That happened with my first nine boyfriends. <laughs> we played it out as long as we could, but it didn't work out. Eventually, we did break up. And of course, we shared an apartment for like six months because this is New York. I was pretty bummed out. I was sad that we broke up, but I was also just sad because I kept dating the same personality type over and over again, a person who didn't care about me, a person who I was trying to force into loving me using my vagina, and just, you know, a person I was trying to connect with, it just wasn't working, and at one point I got really low. I'm going to say it. I got suicidal. I did. I felt like maybe there's no one out there for me, and I'm just stuck in this, like, Groundhog Day scenario where I just have to date jackasses and various shitwads and weirdos for the rest of my life. So one morning I woke up after a pretty emotional night. I woke up early. And I kept having this scenario in my head where I was thinking to myself, well, look, if things get really bad, I can always just leap off our overpriced balcony. So this particular morning I walk out and I look down to see how far down it is. It's six stories, which I don't think that's probably far enough to end the whole mess, but definitely break both legs. 
And uh, that probably wasn't a good scenario either. So I had this epiphany. I was like, oh, I'm going to go call 311. And uh, I'm going to ask them for health insurance. So I went inside. And by the way, this was not the first time I had called 311 for a potential suicide attempt. Uh, What happened was one day I was riding my bicycle along FDR Drive. Beautiful morning. The sun was just kind of rising and sort of rush hour was going on. And I found myself, I wasn't really paying 100% attention. And I went on this sort of detour that led me onto the FDR highway. So I'm riding my bike on FDR Drive Highway (laughs) with cars like flying by me going like 80, 90 miles an hour, SUVs with kids on their way to Connecticut, correction department buses, just like tons of cars flying by. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Ah, and I rode my bike really fast. I jumped on the Meridian and then I was stuck on the Meridian and these cars are flying by six lanes of traffic really, really fast. And I was like, what am I going to do? So I called 911. And I was like, I'm stuck on the highway. Please send help. It struck me as an emergency, right? They were like, oh, you should call 311. You got to call 311. Yeah. So I called 311. And they were like, call 911. That's an emergency. Call 911. And so it went back and forth for hours. And I was stuck on the highway. I couldn't get off the highway. And I was like, what? You know, I started imagining myself, like, living on this meridian. I was like, well, maybe I can sleep over there. This will be the kitchen area. Started looking at the perks, like, well, at least, you know, my rent will be free. So eventually, rush hour faded, and the traffic stopped flying. And I saw this opportunity. I saw an opening. And I remember playing Frogger as a kid. I was like, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can run across six lanes of highway. So I waited, and I bolted across the six lanes of the highway as quick as I could, and I got to the other side, okay, unscathed, just a little shaken up. And there was a cop car on the other side, and he was like, are you the woman who was stuck on the Meridian? And I said, I am, officer, but it's okay now. And he said, good, I'm glad you're okay. Here's a $300 ticket for riding your bike on the highway. So I hadn't had a lot of luck with 311 in the past, but I thought I'd give it a try. So I called 311 and I said, hey, you know, I've been thinking about, I don't know, maybe leaping off my balcony and I was wondering if you guys could give me some health insurance. <laughs> maybe I can talk to a therapist or something about this pesky patio scenario. She was like, you going to kill yourself? <laughs> you going to do that? That's what you're going to do? You're going to jump? You can jump off your balcony? It doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't do that. (laughs) All right, well, we could send someone over to your house. And I was like, no, 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 don't send anyone. She's like, okay, because, you know, usually if people say they're going to kill themselves, we got to bring them into Bellevue. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not. I just wanted to talk to someone, you know. And she was like, okay, well, don't kill yourself. And I was like, I won't. Can you just, can you send me some maybe information about insurance? So she took my address and she was like, I'll send you some information, but you know, you better not kill yourself, okay? And I was like, all right, I won't, I won't. I promise. Girl Scouts honor. So I got back into bed. And like 30 minutes later, I hear a knock on the door. A little like, like a cop knock, you know? And I was like, oh shit. They're coming to take me away, you know? I was like, oh no. So I looked out the peephole And I was like, who is it? 
and I hear this beautiful voice go, it's your friends. And I was like, who is that? (laughs) I look through the peephole, and there's these two gorgeously flamboyantly dressed men wearing like plaid shirts and bow ties and like brightly colored pants as if they were almost clowns, if the clowns were, you know, outfitted by Marc Jacobs. (laughs) And uh, some people might describe them as, in some societies, as bears. There's two of them. Two big jolly gay men standing outside my door. And I don't know what you guys do when two big stranger jolly gay men ring your doorbell, but I open my door. (laughs) I open my door and I was like, hi. You guys my new playmates? Like, what's, what's going on here? And they bound into my apartment. And I just want to say every single word I'm saying is 100% true. They jumped into my apartment. They were like, hi, Jessica. We were sent here to tell you, don't kill yourself. Don't kill yourself. It's not worth it. And they broke into this like almost sing-songy kind of like cabaret, anti-suicide, city-funded program geared towards telling people not to jump off their balconies. And over the hour of what eventually I realized was an intervention, you know, they told me all the wonderful reasons I had to live. One of the guys looked around my apartment. He was like, this place is so cute. You have a balcony? Oh, my God. How much do you pay? That's like a huge compliment coming from a gay guy, you know, to compliment your apartment like that. So they gave me their cards, and they said to keep in touch, and not staying in touch with these guys was one of the biggest regrets of my life. I do wonder, though, like, what would have happened if I lived in the financial district or Wall Street? (laughs) Like, who would they have sent? (laughs) Who would have showed up? Guys, spoiler alert, I didn't jump. And that whole adventure inspired the chain of events that we see that led me all the way to right here today. I moved out of my apartment. I got an apartment, a new apartment, also downtown, with a balcony, and I made a promise to myself to stop dating magicians. Thank you. Hey, hello there. It is I, Grover the Messenger, and I have a telegram for you, an important message from someone you know. Well, okay, then. Tell me the message. Oh, no, 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 no. I cannot tell it to you, sir. I am supposed to sing it to you. On next Thursday, cousin Fred will come and pick Joe off the bed. We found your dog at Lovely Pup. Please stop by and pick it up. Just a little note to say, happy birthday, Uncle Jay. I found your hat the other day. Come and get it right away. Just a little pop, pop, pop. We'll come and pick Joe up to say, hey, wait, off me, dog, be Fred. On next on it be Thursday, then it's on birthday, be fine. The dog, come master Joe, I'll pick him my bed. Go bed, 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 go I was just thinking the whole time, can I get up on that stage? And I did it. So I feel like that's that. Uh, (laughs) So it is the holiday show, but as Beowulf mentioned, I I did some holiday stories recently for Risk, so I'm not going to do them again now. 
And uh, Kevin Allison, who I love, calls me up with Beowulf, and I, I think this is the best compliment I ever got. I, I was robbed earlier this month at my barbershop. It was very traumatic. And Kevin calls me up. He's like, hey, do you want to do this thing? I'm like, yeah, but I just did the holiday stories. They're coming out. He goes, yeah. This is my Kevin Allison impression. Yeah. Well, I heard from Beowulf that you were robbed recently. So I was thinking maybe you have something on that. It's just like the best compliment to me because I'm like still trying to get over it. And he's like, oh, he's probably made it funny already. Let's get on that. But I, I am not going to talk about that yet, but I will do it at some point. Um, I want to talk about the year 2001. It was May of 2001. I was a senior in high school and a friendly neighborhood guy. As I still consider myself, this is actually always something I think I could pride myself on. I'm a neighborhood guy. I always get to know the neighbors. And I like to be part of a neighborhood. And uh, there was a house that was behind our house in Long Beach, Long Island, and we shared a backyard, and that house was a rental property. And so it was all these new tenants coming in and out. And what I particularly liked about that house was that I could cut through the yard past that house to the main street. So in addition to trying to be a neighborhood guy, I always tried to make friends with the tenants there so they're not creeped out when I walk past their house. So I'm cutting through, and there's the new tenant, and uh, he's doing some gardening. And I introduce myself. I say, hey, I'm Danny LaBelle. I live in the house behind your house, and welcome to the neighborhood. What are you, are you doing some gardening? I can, I can help. And he goes, no, no, that's fine. I was just into gardening because my grandpa, Cyril, may rest in peace, was, uh, was always doing a lot of gardening. He's from Scotland, and he'd come over, and he always plant these bulbs in our yard and, and uh, he used to try to get me to help and I, I regret now that I wasn't as helpful back then but I'm always trying to make up for that, you know? And be like a good gardener when asked. <laughs> it's a weird thing but I, like, you know, I wish I would have been more of a good gardener and spent more time gardening with my grandpa. So this guy's gardening uh, and he's got these big big bulbs and I'm like let me help you uh, let me help you plant those and he's like no 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 it's fine he goes why don't you come in and have a beer now I was underage but I was drinking anyway uh, I had a fake ID I'm not gonna lie uh, I was I was cool now that's a lie that is a lie I wasn't wasn't cool uh, but uh, I did have a fake ID and I said sure what do you got and he goes Budweiser I never liked Budweiser, so I said, well, what else do you have? He goes, no, all I have is Budweiser right now. I said, well, you know, um, I'm going to skip out on the beer, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm around and get some better beer and we'll do this, you know? <laughs> and he's like, it's fine, it's good beer, come inside. And the more he was, like, pushing the Budweiser on me, the more I was going to reject that Budweiser. I'm like, no, I don't like Budweiser, I don't like it at all, you know, get Heineken. So I left. <laughs> Um, so about a week later, uh, I, I got home, my main transportation mode was bicycle, because I was cool, and, uh, and I would always lock my bike in the shed behind our house, but one night I got lazy and I figured, you know what, this is Long Island, nothing's going to happen, nobody's ever in our backyard anyway, I'm not going to, no one's going to steal my bike, 
I'm just going to leave it out there, unlock tonight, it'll be fine. I go inside, I remember I was watching uh, The Simpsons at 11 p.m. And I hear, I think, voices in the backyard. And I thought I saw a light go past the blinds in my room, because my room faced the backyard. And I was thinking to myself, is someone trying to steal my bike? And I was like, ah, I'll give him a little time. <laughs> it's probably in my head anyway. Let me just keep watching The Simpsons and see how this goes. And then, like, you know, by the next commercial break, I still hear, like, some voices in the backyard. And I think I saw another light, like, go past the blinds really quickly. I'm like, they're taking way too long to steal my bike. I got to do something at this point. And uh, like all Jewish, good Jewish kids, I smuggled back a butterfly knife from an army store in Israel on one trip there <laughs> that I kept in my night table next to my bed. I never used it, but I was like, I guess this is the time. <laughs> now, you should keep in mind, I had no idea how to use a butterfly knife, nor have I ever like beat anyone up or anything, but I think I was just hoping to intimidate a bike thief by holding up a knife. Probably not a good strategy anyway. But I go out in my underwear and I flip open this butterfly knife. <laughs> I walk onto the back porch and immediately I am blinded by about 12 flashlights that all hit me at once in the eyes. And as soon as I, my eyes adjust to the light and I see what's going on, I realize that there's about 12 FBI agents with shovels digging up holes in my backyard. And I said probably the very worst thing you could ever say in that situation, which is, hey, what are you guys, digging for a dead body back here? <laughs> if ever you find FBI agents digging up holes in your backyard, take note, friends. Never open with, are you digging up a dead body back here? So this one agent comes up to me on the porch and he goes, why did you say that? And that just ran fear through my whole body as he stared me down with those words. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing now. I'm in trouble. Something's going on. Murder, death, I don't know. So I'm like, I didn't say that. You said that. <laughs> And my little Jedi mind trick failed. <laughs> and he goes, no, you definitely said that. I'm going to ask you again, why did you just ask if we're digging up a dead body back here? And now I started really panicking. I'm like, I don't know, because you just shovels and flashlights, and I figured you're either digging up a dead body or drugs or alcohol. <laughs> and he goes, alcohol? Who digs up alcohol? <laughs> now I was like, I don't know. I was just trying to watch this. I thought you were stealing my bike. I didn't lock the bike. I should have locked the bike. I don't know. I'm in high school. I was just trying to watch TV and I thought you guys had flashlights and lights. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. He's like, all right, all right. He just like could tell I was a crazy kid. He's like, just go back inside. And I like quickly pick up my butterfly knife that I had dropped immediately when the lights hit me. And I ran back inside. 
and I go to my mom's room and she's sleeping and, and I'm like, hey, wake up, wake up. I'm like, there's FBI in our backyard and they're digging it up with uh, shovels and flashlights. And this is how much my mom values her sleep. She was not even having it a little bit. She's like, just tell your father. She's just like, let me... There, there's about probably nothing that I could say to her if she's sleeping that's going to make her like, no. Uh, <laughs> I'll get out of bed for this. No, nothing. So I'm like, where is my dad? So I call him on his cell phone, and he answers it, and he's like half asleep. And I'm What's up, Daniel? I'm like, where are you? And he had developed this new habit. I forgot he had started doing this, where he bought an old Lincoln from a friend of his, and he would park in front of the house and blast the heat as far as it goes in the Lincoln and blast NPR as loud as it goes and then just fall asleep. So it was one of those nights. And then I'm outside, so I go outside and like BBC World News or whatever was blaring out of the car. And I'm like, wake up, wake up. There's a... Uh, our yard is full of FBI agents and they're digging it up. He's like, what? I gotta get in the house, get in the house. So I, I get in the house and he goes in the backyard. I'm watching out the window and his like, arms are flailing around. He's talking to these agents and, and then he storms into the house and I'm like, what's going on? He's like, go to sleep. I'm like, I can't now. I'm like, I need to know. He's like, just go to sleep. And he screams at me and runs to his room and slams the door. I'm like, all right. So I stay up for a while just watching the FBI dig up the yard on and off until I finally fall asleep. And I get woken up in the morning by the sound of helicopters at 5 a.m. over the house. And I get up and, and get dressed to go to school. And my mom's like, don't talk to them. This isn't how to get famous. I'm like, who? What? You know? <laughs> I look outside and every news reporter from like every major news agency is on our front lawn between the door and the school bus. I had to like walk through the whole press junket. I don't know. Like, and, and my mom's like, this isn't how to get famous. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> And I get on the bus, and everybody's like, murder house! I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> As it turns out, um, there was a guy, a very terrible story, a Hofstra student who murdered his roommate and chopped the body up and tried a bunch of different ways to dispose it before finally deciding to move to Long Beach, Long Island and rent a house and bury it in the backyard. And I met that guy while he was burying that body in the backyard and offered to help him. Because that's how little I understand about gardening. Because I should have spent more time learning with my grandpa. And I would have known that the bulbs don't come in giant garbage bags. And I'm not really sure if there's really a moral to this story. I know that I, it probably set me off into some kind of PTSD, which I've uh, done 15 years of stand-up comedy as therapy for. I'm not because sure. that was like one of my first stand-up bits. I'm like, all of a sudden I'm funny. What happened there? You know? But. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I guess I never really processed it or dealt with it. And maybe that explains my whole life and career. But uh, if there's a moral, I guess, it's never 
ever settle for anything less than Heineken. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Danny LaBelle. Good night. A time is ever This is Risk. This is Blind Pilot behind me now. And we just heard from Danny LaBelle. You can find him at dannylabelle.com. And also be sure to check out Danny's podcast, Modern Day Philosophers. Always so much fun. All righty then. Back to the stories. We're going to hear now from Doug Smith, the comedian Doug Smith. He told this one at the Risk Live show at the Bell House in Brooklyn, where we do the show once a month. The next one is on April 9th. That's going to be a big show for NYC PodFest. Doug, you can find him at Twitter at WhoDougSmith. Here he is now with a story we call The Slash. My story starts on uh, September 20th of 2010. Pretty chill night so far. Bought some weed, strolled through the East Village, watched some friends on a comedy show. Now it's 10 o'clock. I'm uh, about to head back to Brooklyn. I walk down the stairs of the 2nd Avenue F train station, and a woman passes me fleeing the station, sobbing. And I don't really think anything of it. I continue down the stairs. I swipe my card, go through the turnstile, and I hear another woman screaming. And I'm like, what is going on? Is this like season finale of The Bachelor or something? I have no idea what I've missed. Uh, and I look to my right, and it's a petite, young, blonde woman, early 20s. And with her is uh, a light-skinned black guy about my size, maybe mid-30s. And uh, he's groping her, grabbing her ass, seemingly trying to rip her clothes off. And I was like, well, this interracial couple is into some aggressive foreplay, but uh, he seems a little bit more into it than she is, but none of my business, so I'll let him be. And then he takes her by the shirt, and he just whips her against the wall, hauls off, and just clobbers her right across the jaw. And she definitely was not into that. I was like, I don't think they're together. I think this guy is a rapist. He starts trying to rip her pants off. And I was like, somebody's got to do something. Nobody's doing anything. I got to do something. I've never been in a fight in my entire life. I was like, this is going to be my first fight. A guy that is not giving a second thought to beating the shit out of a woman in public. I was like, all right, everybody watch as I die a hero. So I yell out the most threatening thing I can think of at the time, which happens to be, hey, buddy, that's a lady. (laughs) 
He's punching her in the face and I'm yelling at him like he's using offensive language, right? Like he's gonna be like, oh my God, you're right. It, I, that's the last time I leave the house without my glasses. So I yell out to him once more and this time I, I up the ante quick. I just beat my chest and I just go, come on! Which is a, that's a pretty big jump from hey buddy, that's a lady, right? There's, several steps, like maybe you pick on someone your own size, or I'm telling might have sufficed. <laughs> so he sees that I'm not going anywhere, so he takes his hand off of her, she goes running out of the station, and he squares off to face me. And this is ordinarily a very busy station, but at this precise moment, it's empty. And he's just staring me down with these steely blue eyes, beautiful eyes under normal circumstances, I must... <laughs> I must add, quite seductive even, but at this moment, they are just cold and terrifying, and he's just staring me down, and he takes his first step toward me, and he just goes, what you gonna do, motherfucker? And I was like, all right, this guy is clearly winning in the crazy department. I gotta out-crazy this guy, so I started screaming, back the fuck up, man, back the fuck up. But that tends to lose its impact when you yourself are the one fearfully backing up. <laughs> So I hit the opposing wall, I have nowhere to go, and I step in and I just swing for the fences with a punch that I am sure is going to level him. And it probably would have if I was not still eight feet away from him. <laughs> so there's this horrible moment where we're just both watching my fist whiz past his face in slow motion as he winds up. He steps in, hits me, wham, my knees buckle a little bit, but I don't go down, I come back kick him in the stomach. And here's what I know about my fighting style so far is uh, I'm way too polite, I can't land a punch. And when I kick someone, I make this sound. I go, <laughs> But I make contact, he bolts, he goes running out of the station. Now I'm feeling like hot shit. I'm like, man, I just, I just won my first fight. I was like, I didn't back down, I took a punch, I didn't get to hit him, that was a little underwhelming, but I think I just won my first fight. I was like, I'm the first guy with a mustache to save a woman from train tracks. <laughs> rather than tie her to them, right? So I'm feeling great, and uh, I'm about to get on the train, and a woman getting off the train goes, oh my God, sir, you have a massive laceration on your face. And I was like, what? Is it bad? She goes, oh, it appears to be quite severe. <laughs> I was like, all right, doctor. And I look down and there's just a cascade of blood just pouring down my jacket. And I don't feel any pain, just warmth. And time stops for a second as I just replay everything in my head. I was like, yeah, that guy was kind of holding his hand in kind of a funny way. I do think I saw sort of a glimmer. I was like, fuck, I didn't win a fight. That guy had a blade, he just splayed my face open like plastic wrap and escaped. So first thing that goes through my head, oh my God, now I have AIDS. <laughs> I was like, I don't give a shit about the cut, the blood loss, the scar I'm gonna have. I think some spiteful psycho running around the city with an infected blade just stabbed me in the face. Now I just have AIDS blood coursing through my veins. And I'm like, you know what, this is good. I'm bleeding it all out. At one point I actually lean over, I'm like, get. Rid yourself. Get out. 
And this angel woman grabs me by the shoulder. She goes, what are you doing? She stands me up. She reaches into her purse, grabs a wad of napkins, slaps them on my face, because apparently every woman in their 30s has a surplus of purse napkins, right? (laughs) So she goes, come on, let's go. She leads me up to the street, calls 911, dozen cops on the scene within minutes. And then I remember, oh, shit, I got that quarter ounce of weed in my backpack. (laughs) And then I start to panic because I was like, oh, I don't know if they're going to bring me in for questioning. I don't know if they're going to search me. I was like, I can't have my first fight, my first stab wound, and my first arrest in the same night. That is too much. So I got my napkins on my face, and I just start sidestepping my way to the nearest trash can. And I'm not going to take the napkins off my face and lose another quart of blood. So my plan is just to back my way up to the trash can and just unfurl the whole thing. Just just dump the whole bag and make a clean break. But then I'm like, hold on a second. All these cops, I told them what happened. They're all patting me on the back, calling me a hero. I was like, if there's ever a time for a cop to find weed and look the other way, it would be now, right? They'd probably roll a joint and light it for me at this point. I'm like, smoke up, champ, you earned it. <laughs> now, they all want to see the wound, by the way, so uh, every cop that comes up to me is like, hey, you mind if I uh, take a look? So I reluctantly peel the napkins off my face, each time losing another quart of blood, and every cop has the same reaction. They just go, oof. Now, keep in mind, I still haven't seen it. I have no idea what it looks like. I know it's not all the way through. I can't, like, poke my tongue through. But I know it's bad enough to make New York's finest sick to their fucking stomach. <laughs> Ambulance finally shows up and paramedics wrap my whole head in gauze, like one of those cartoons from the 30s when someone has a toothache. <laughs> and they rush me to Bellevue. I get a bed in the emergency room immediately. They page the plastic surgeon. She shows up and she is just the ultimate porno MILF doctor. <laughs> Gorgeous, gorgeous woman. Like, you know, bookish, like, you know, glasses, hair in a bun. But you know when she shakes that hair out, it's just boner city. (laughs) So she starts peeling the gauze off my face. And as she peels the last sheet of gauze off my face, the curtain parts. It's my wife. The cops called her, gave her heads up what was happening. She sees me, just starts bawling. So now I have my wife on one side of me holding my hand, telling me how brave I am, how much she loves me. I have this porno doc on the other side of me stroking my hair telling me everything's gonna be okay it's the closest I've ever come to being in a threesome it was even as I'm getting string yanked through my face I was like this is fucking fantastic so she's stitching me up and two detectives show up and there's like one 6'4 hulking black dude and one like 5'2 meatball of an Italian dude And he's the mouthpiece, and I swear to God, he sounds like he's in a buddy cop movie. He just goes, uh, he goes, Dougie, how you doing? None too good, I guess. Uh, Listen, this is Mo, I'm Rocky. Uh, You want us to catch the bad guy? I was like, wow, you guys talk like that? This is great. So I give him a description of the guy, and they come, he comes back 20 minutes later with a bunch of mug shots. I pick the guy out immediately, same as I remember, those beautiful blues, uh, gaunt, crazy looking, and he just goes, don't worry, we're going to catch the bad guy. He takes off. Surgeon finishes stitching me up. 
I listen to a lot of rap music. I, I uh, hear a lot of references to a buck fifty. Now, a buck fifty, for those of you that don't know, is a facial laceration that requires 150 stitches. And this right here, from my sideburn to the corner of my mouth, that's 23 stitches, which makes me wonder what kind of fucking facial laceration <laughs> requires 150 stitch, like decapitation? What is... I was like, oh, we'll just sew your head back on. You'll be good to go. The next few days are a mixed bag because I'm getting all sorts of texts and phone calls, a lot of people calling me a hero, which I find pretty hilarious at the time because all, apparently all it takes to be a hero is cock-blocking a rapist with a box cutter and losing the fight. <laughs> and uh, so I'm getting all these hero compliments, but I'm in excruciating pain. I can't... I can't talk, I can't eat solid food, even just like sipping protein shakes through a straw is excruciating. So finally, I, I start to lose my mind. It's been four days without solid food. I finally cave, I order Chinese food, I get wonton soup, egg rolls, sesame chicken. I can't chew it, so I just throw it all in a blender. <laughs> in a one completely inedible Szechuan smoothie as I'm trying to slurp this disgusting shit down, I get a call from an unknown number and in one of the only instances in my life, I answer it and I say, hello? And I just hear, Dougie, we got the bad guy. <laughs> Turns out it's a 51-year-old homeless guy with no priors other than panhandling and public intoxication. And that was a bit of a blow to my ego because I went from thinking I won a fight against my physical equal to knowing I got my ass kicked by an old wino. <laughs> but uh, he got the guy and uh, I get my stitches out a few days after that and here's where things take a dark turn. I'm uh, brushing my teeth one night and I noticed like a clear fluid coming out of the scar. And I'm like, oh, it's just residual wound goop, no big deal. Keeps up for a few days. I finally go back to the doctor. They do an MRI and they find that when the guy cut me, he hit my salivary gland. So I'm now drooling out of the side of my face. <laughs> Not a little bit of drool, like buckets of drool. Like you put a plate of wings in front of me, I'm just a slobbering St. Bernard. It was so bad I could push on the gland and shoot it across the room. Which, that would have been a great defense at the time of the attack, right? Just be like, back the fuck up, man! Back the fuck up! So the doctor says, uh, he says, give it two weeks. It's very likely it may heal up on its own. If it doesn't, we will have to reopen the wound and tie off that duck. So now I'm in hell. If slashing was nothing compared to this because I feel terrible about myself. I'm a dog walker at the time, so I'm just roaming New York City, drooling all over the place. <laughs> the dogs are looking at me like, oh, he's one of us now. <laughs> and my quality of life just goes down the shitter. I just feel completely defeated. My depression is just spiraling out of control. I went from feeling like a hero to feeling like a freak. I was like, I should just see if Coney Island is hiring any new recruits. I'll just... <laughs> be the boy with a super soaker face, go off the grid, lo live under the boardwalk in a puddle of my own saliva. I was like, this is the kind of horrible shit that makes people go insane, slip through the cracks, live on the street, and punch women in the face. I get it now. This is, I feel sympathy for this guy now. 
So I finally find a solution for sopping up all the drool, but you definitely do not feel like a man when you have a maxi pad stuck to your face. <laughs> but that's what I did. That was the only thing that worked. So I felt like I could have been in a commercial, you know, like hold your head up high knowing you have the ultimate protection of always. <laughs> but like some guys are like embarrassed going to buy maxi pads for their girlfriend. Totally different ball game when you go into CVS, you're like, these are for my face, right? <laughs> So, doctor called it, though. The day before I'm supposed to go in for surgery, it stops, heals up on its own. I go in to see him. He goes, yep, you're good to go. All you got is that nifty scar. It's the week before Halloween. He's trying to lighten the mood. He's like, hey, you got that scar now? Let me guess. You're going to go as the Joker for Halloween. And I was like, well, the Joker has this scar on both sides of his face. So, in order to go as the Joker, I would have to go out and stop a left-handed rapist. <laughs> And uh, I don't know. I think those are difficult to come by, right? <laughs> Finally goes to trial, and the girl that I jumped in to help, she never showed her face again, never filed a police report, never showed up. She was just MIA completely. But this guy still gets hit with two counts of assault. And one of them, remember that girl that was sobbing, fleeing the station as I was walking in? Turns out he punched her just moments before I showed up. So between clobbering her trying to chop my head off, he gets sentenced to 15 years. So he's currently doing time. So I imagine him right now, probably sober, probably hitting the weights. And I've been hitting the weights myself <laughs> because I am truly terrified that in 2025, I'm going to have to do battle with a shredded 66-year-old looking to finish the job. So... Thank you guys so much. You've been a, a real treat. All right, thank you. for this week's episode folks this is reverie me behind me now and we just heard from doug smith 
Hey, listen, if you check out our Facebook page, At Risk Show, you can see that Risk is now looking for true stories about battles with Mother Nature, crises in the great outdoors, surviving accidents away from the comfort of home. Maybe it's a mountain climbing disaster or the wreck of a vehicle in the wilderness or a snake bite on a cross-country run or running out of clean water in a jungle forest. Whatever it is, pitch us at risk-show.com slash submissions is where you'll find our submissions page. There's a video there that tells you how to pitch and we're always looking for stories from people of all walks of life, young and old, people of all races and backgrounds. Pitch us at wristashow.com slash submissions. Don't forget, if you would like to support us, if you'd like to help keep this show running, we very, very, very much rely on the help of the people who love the show. We've got a big, big production here to keep running. It takes a lot and we are always just scraping by. So visit us at patreon.com slash risk. There's lots of prizes, lots of fun stuff there. If you become a patron, you can be doing it for as little as a dollar a month. That's at patreon.com slash risk. And if you want to learn about storytelling, we teach it in all sorts of ways at thestorystudio.org. Videos you can download on your own, one-on-one training over Skype, sessions that you can do with your staff of your business. That's all at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. I really do adore my husband, and I'm very happy to have him, because there was a time when I was very wary of all men. Men scared me very much. When a man would say to me, what's your sign? I'd be like, stop. That's my sign, just stop. I masturbated to mythical creatures, okay? Because I knew if I banged a centaur in my fantasies, at least I'd get a ride home which was more than I was getting from a lot of the gentlemen. I actually wrote a song about some of the fellas who I spent some of my time with, some of the choice gentlemen. And it goes like this. A one, two, three. Well, I once knew a man, he was from down south. He paid me $20 just to piss in his mouth. Well, I pissed and peed and I dribbled it in. And he swallowed every drop with a cheerful grin. And we got married in the summer by the saltiest sea. But love doesn't last when it's based on pee. No, oh, oh no, no. I loved that man. Hey, piss lips, I was in love with you. 
I wrote the song with Jewel. <laughs> I was in love with you. Two, three. Well, I once knew a man from a faraway place. He paid me $12 just to shit on his face. So, well, I, I pushed and heaved and I dribbled it down. And some parts were tan in color and the others were brown. And we got married in the winter by the sweet warm rain. But love doesn't last when you push and strain. No, oh, oh no, no. I loved that man. Hey, Chichin, I was in love with you. Called him Shitchen. I was in love with you. Last verse, last guy. I'm sorry, I just, um, it's the hormones I get. A little, <laughs> a little emotional right now thinking about Shitchen and. <laughs> and sir, you look so much like Shitchen. <laughs> It's uncanny. It's uncanny. But I'm a professional. I'm going to keep going. Well, I once knew a man. He was from St. Rick. Anyone ever been to St. Rick? Oh, it's incredible. The men there are so wonderful. They call you back. They're sweet. They're employed. It's a place I made up. <laughs> he paid me $4 just to... Any guesses? Any guesses? Any guesses? Suck his dick. I love there's always one person who's like, well, let's see, you peed on a guy, and then you shit on him, so the next logical step would be a blowjob. <laughs> Any more guesses? Any other guesses? Cut off. <gasps> Puke on his dick, I will. Dug my finger way down my pipe and I barfed on his bag and it felt so right. And we got married in the winter. I wore a white dress. But love's no good when your dick is a mess. No, whoa. Oh no, no. I love that man. He puked dick. I was in love with you. I was in love with you.